Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM. Hey there, arts fans. This is Megan. And after that slow jam from CJ Richard, we have the Arts Report on July 25th, 2012. Let's go. Lazy, hazy days of summer, and we want to come to you live every week, but I want to take it a little bit easy. We're doing re-air a couple of interviews, give you a few kickstarts for some of the fun events that you can be doing over the next week or so, and then we are going to uh, give you some academia around arts and culture. In the city, care of Andy Longhurst, who does the city on Tuesday evenings on CITR. All right. So today on the Arts Report, first up, I'm going to give you a couple of announcements about some events that are coming uh, coming to Vancouver in the next few uh, in the next week or so. First off, we have uh, from Gather, a pop-up shop. You can see them online at www.gatherpopup.com. And they have a series called Workshop Holic. Get y'all learn on. And uh, it's just a couple of cool uh, workshops that I thought people uh, might be interested in who enjoy the arts and maybe getting your hands dirty yourself. Uh, we have on Saturday, July 28th, we have Finders Keepers. Found image collaging. Uh, we have some city walks with the artful Desperado. Uh, we have Tech Tea Saturday, and then uh, socially get socially creative. Um, so you know, if you're looking to get some information about you know sharing your work, then that's a good way of doing it. Um, so Finders Keepers uh, is uh, with the Jealous Curator. And it's uh, learning about collage, etc. And uh, it will be taught by Danielle Kreisa. Uh, you can check this out on uh, gatherpopup.com slash workshopaholics. And uh, you can check her out at thejealouscurator.com. And uh, she has a BFA in visual arts, so you know you're being well taken care of. It's uh, 10 to 12 on Saturday, July 28th, at, uh, and it's sponsored by Opus. So you can check that out online. It looks like there's about 10 spaces available. So that's an example of one of their workshops on Saturday. And then on Sunday, we have uh, July 29th, we have portrait photography, sublime stitching, and uh, building your own terrarium. So you know what? Here we go. Portrait photography is probably the most relevant to you guys at home. Uh, And if you are looking to uh, turn portrait photography into an art, or if you are looking to have your own portrait for your promotion of what you're doing, uh, with your brain, hands, and artistic creativity, then you can check this out. Um, it uh, You need a, a digital SLR um, and whatever memory you can bring with you. It is taught by Troy Ma, 
and he uh, is uh, from Toronto and has done a lot of uh, work with Vogue and Harper's Bazaar and stuff like that. So he's a Canadian at heart and a West Coaster at heart. So that's Saturday, July 29th from 10 to 12. Um, it's a bit pricey, but if that's something you're interested in, uh, it's uh, there's looks like there's about 10 spaces available for that as well. And the reason I'm promoting these is really no other reason than I would love to go to them. Uh, and maybe you can go tell me what it's like. Another thing that's happening that you need to go out and deal with right this second, uh, the Canadian Comedy Awards. You have to vote by July 29th. It's CanadianComedyAwards.com. And uh, there's a couple of entries of note. First of all, the Sunday service, as you know, a personal favorite of mine, has been nominated for all the awards, apparently. Uh, the Beautiful Podcast has been nominated for um, Best Podcast. They've also gotten a nod for Im- Best Improv Troupe Web Clip. And uh, Ryan Beale and Taz Van Russell have gotten a male performer. Another nominee uh, that I really enjoy is Stop Pad- Podcasting Yourself. Stop podcasting yourself if you're Canadian. And they will be um, nominated as well for the podcast. So maybe vote for them because Sunday service has gotten enough. Like, come on, Sunday service. So that's another podcast that I really enjoy. It's quite funny. And though they are not local... They are still uh, local in our hearts. CJSW uh, out of Calgary, uh, their program, Am I Right?, which is their official Wednesday night comedy program. Um, You know, out of all the Wednesday night comedy programs that they have at CJSW, this is the official, and they've been nominated as well. That's actually on Wednesdays at 11 if you ever want to get the podcast from them. Uh, Another show that has been nominated as a one-person show is The Cock Whisperer. And this is Tippy Seagram. Now I saw actually this event. Oh man, I don't I don't remember. But you don't forget the show itself. It's a really funny exploration of the ins and outs, so to speak, of the male appendage and how that affected her life, how it seems to affect other people's lives, and that is a uh, really funny and a bit dark. And uh, you know. Everyone is obsessed with the male appendage in media and in art. So this is her version of it. You can check that out at thecockwhisperer.blogspot.ca. A couple of other... uh, So um, Picnic Face uh, is a favorite of mine there on the East Coast, though Mark Little is out from from Vancouver. So Andrew Bush, Gary Campbell, Kyle Dooley, Cheryl Han, Mark Little, Brian McQuarrie, Evany Rosen, Scott Vrooman. Oh my gosh, so many people. Bill Wood. They are Picnic Face, and they've gotten Best Writing for a Television Program or Series and also Performance by an Ensemble. Um, unfortunately, I don't think Picnic Face is on the air anymore. They had a brief run, but uh, my, one of my favorites pre-television show is, of course, Welcome to Halifax. Please go to YouTube and Google that. Uh, you know, they're from Halifax, and they tell you all about the history, uh, the fashion, and the likes and dislikes of people who live in Halifax. And one more uh, set of uh, events, or two more sets of events. First of all, I mentioned this before, Dances for a Small Stage is coming up next week. They are actually doing their 26th and 27th installment all at once. They're efficient. I think if art and dance is known for nothing else, it's its efficiency. Dances for a Small Stage is doing um, on August 1st and 2nd Dances for a Small Stage 26. It highlights uh, Peter Chu and his uh, company. 
And then on August 3rd and 4th, the 27th installment presents uh, some young artists, some new works um, on the very, very small 10 by 13 foot stage. So if you know someone who's about six foot, uh, two of them on one and one and a half on the other side. That's not that's not big. It's not a big stage to dance on. And um, uh, dances for a small stage 26. Uh, you have Peter Chu and his Las Vegas based uh, Chew This uh, will present their show Nothing Sticks. And then on, uh, again, on the 27th, uh, they will be inspired by that performance. And these young artists from Vancouver will uh, perform some works inspired by the kind of 20s feel of uh, the performance by Chew This. So it's uh, Dances for a Small Stage, August 1st, 2nd, 3rd, and 4th, 7 p.m. doors uh, with the pre-show and then show at 8 p.m. 20 bucks at the Legion on the drive, 2205 Commercial Drive. Uh, they will be available at the door, and advance tickets for 27 will be available during 26. Audience members are 19 plus, and you can get more info at www.movent.ca. M O V E N T. And if you've ever been interested in in uh, community engagement involving Canadian national identity. This is uh, a really cool event for you called Canadian Frame Lines. Um, Canadian Frame Lines is a project where um, through workshops and person-to-person interactions, uh, and they're actually uh, raising money to complete the project right now, they are exploring... um, you know, the the ins and outs of Canadian national identity. So you can check them up at CanadianFrameLines.com. And uh, this is uh, Alex Neufeld, uh, I believe, Alexandra Caulfield and writer Thomas White. Uh, it's an interactive documentary, uh, Canadian Frame Lines. And uh, yeah, so that looks really interesting. There's going to be a, a film and exhibition. Um, you can check them out at CanadianFrameLines.com. They'll be traveling across Canada, uh, interacting with us, with Canadians, to understand what is national identity, which I believe is a topic that has never been explored before, right? No, it has been. And you know why it keeps being interesting is because we still haven't figured it out. Canadian identity is a really rich place for artists in Canada. And uh, in order to become global citizens, says Caulfield and White of Caulfield White Productions, they have to figure out who they are as a nation. All right. So there's a few events that are coming up um, that I think might be interested in. Uh, and that project is actually ongoing Canadian Framelines as well. So please check them out at CanadianFramelines.com. So the rest of the show today is going to be a, a few. There's going to be some books. We're going to look at some books that overlap with a recent collection of books that Taiyi.ca put out. Um, their staff picks and actually overlapped with a number of things that we've done at the Arts Report. So I thought we'd bring those back to you. Plus, with a little music sprinkling, um, you know, requests from the authors, them very selves. And we will also be uh, broadcasting a few parts of a city episode that we will uh, talking about art and gentrification and uh, spaces in Vancouver. 
And I thought that was really interesting. And uh, so we have some summer reads, some lighthearted stuff in the first half of the show. And then rounding it out, we'll get a little heavier. So please stay tuned. Uh, We're going to take a brief break. And when we return, we will listen to some books. And get great discounts downtown at... 212 Productions, Beach Street Records, Blim, Dream Apparel, The Fall Tattooing, The Kiss Store, Heart and Soul Clothing, Inc., Hits Boutique, Pacific Cinematheque, Scratch Records, Final Records, Woo Vintage Clothing, and Zoo Shop. It pays to be a friend of CITR. To learn more, come visit us in room 233 of the sub on UBC campus or check us out online at citr.ca. The Rio Theatre is your independent East Vancouver theatre, playing first-run feature films, independent film screenings, as well as live events. Every Friday night, there are featured midnight cult classics on the big screen, and no one can beat The Rio for their cheap date Tuesdays. This month at The Rio, see great movies like Suicide Club on July 6th, the premiere screening of Hip Hop, eh? The Canadian Hip Hop Documentary on July 8th at 7.30, The Fifth Element on the 13th, the Vancouver premiere of Hicks on Sticks on July 12th at 7 and 10 p.m., Bones Brigade, an autobiography, on the 15th at 7 and 9.30. Burlesque Assassins, on the 18th. And on the 19th, it's a Batman Marathon. Starting at 6, see Batman Begins and The Dark Knight back-to-back in the lead-up to the midnight screening of The Dark Knight Rises. And if you're looking for something a little different, special events at the Rio this month include Justin Towns Earl live with special guest Tristan on July 4th. Pipe This, a burlesque benefit on July 7th at 8.30. Girls Rock Camp on July 14th at noon. And Scott Nolan and Friends live on the 17th at 9.30. For more information on all this and more, check out theriotheater.ca. Anybody else want to negotiate? Where did he learn to negotiate like that? All right, so the Rio. Um, you know, I just saw Batman, the final trilogy piece the dark knight rises spoiler alert batman's in it no there's actually it's actually not a lot of real twists in that one um i won't go too into it that's not actually a piece of local art i don't know if you know this but the rio is a great place to see even the blockbusters um i it was fine if you it it was no dark knight is all i'm gonna say about that but uh, i really enjoyed it and uh, if you like your action movies to be super intense and tiring as they are entertaining, then that is definitely a movie to check out. So I was browsing the Thai E the other day, and uh, the Thai E summer reads. Now these are the picks from staff uh, and contributors, including Katie Hyslop, Colleen Kimmett, Andrew McLeod, Kai Nagata, Adam Pez, Hannah Redman. Jessica Roberts, Farina, Robin Smith, and our own Ariel Fournier. And I was thinking about how to organize this week's show, what type of stuff I wanted to replay for you to keep it easy breezy summertime for myself. And uh, I thought a lot of these books I've read. In fact, a lot of these books I've reviewed for CITR, The Arts Report. So I thought what we would do is we would take a little journey back in time and listen to a few of the reviews and interviews uh, that were 
part of this list. One of the ones that I really enjoyed uh, and that is actually uh, quite relevant right now continues to be well uh, and deservedly so reviewed is Malarkey by Anakana Schofield. And um, this is something that we reviewed uh, in April, actually. And I felt like we were really ahead of the curve because it went on to win a bunch of awards uh, and to, you know, it's... it's uh, been really really well received so i will read to you the very first page from episode one there's no way around it i'm finding it very hard to be a widow i told grief the counselor woman that tuesday morning are you missing your husband a great deal not especially i miss the routine of his demands it's true but i'm plagued day and night with thoughts i'd rather be without are you afraid to be in the house alone indeed i am are you afraid someone's going to come in and attack you? Indeed, I am not. And these thoughts, do they come when you are having problems falling asleep? No, I said. They are with me from the first sip of tea I take to this very minute since three days after my husband was taken. I've heard it all, she insisted. There's nothing you can say that will surprise me. I, disbelieving, asked again, you're sure now? Absolutely. Men, I said. Naked men, at each other all the time, all day long. I can't get it out of my head. Well now, she said, and fell silent. So that's from page one, episode one of Malarkey. Uh, Malarkey follows, well, you know what? Let me tell you, but let me tell you, in a review I did, in April of 2012, we have uh, two books on the show today, Malarkey by Annika uh, Schofield and The Measure of a Man by J.J. Lee. So Malarkey by Annika Schofield is set in Ireland and it's the story of an Irish mother who is forced to look grief in the eye, according to the back of the page. Uh, she comes face to face with longing and uh, her gay son, who goes to the army, she has a husband who is slowly retreating from her emotionally. And quite frankly, she is going mad. It's a really poignant, funny book, very dark. And one of the things I enjoyed about it is that as the character moves through the story, you really start to get a fuller and fuller of sense of how the world is looking at her. Um, the point of view in the book shifts from third person to from to first person in a way that uh, sometimes will slip up a little bit. You'll uh, be looking from the outside and then the inside, and, and uh, the difference is often quite stark. Um, they refer to the main character as our woman, and it's a very stylized book. It's not always 100% successful, but one of the things I really enjoyed about it is it really creates its own set of style uh, tropes that it reuses throughout the, the novel and you do get a sense of what it's like for a small town Irish farmer's wife who is both extremely self-sufficient and strong while uh, at the exact same time in kind of an oxymoron way completely dependent um, for her purpose on her husband and her son and her son comes out well rather he allows her to find out that he's gay and 
she becomes obsessed with the acts that she caught him performing. And it's not in a sexual way, even though there is a lot of sexual exploration in the novel, but rather the passion that he she sees him um, participating with these young boys uh, is something that she doesn't really understand. And it's a way she comes into herself and she starts to learn more about herself while at the same time she's obviously breaking with reality. And she, you know, she has these relationships. She runs into a woman that her husband is sleeping with and that is even more intriguing to her. She wants to know about what they do and she tries to recreate these things. So um, it's a it's a dark, moving, funny book with uh, a disjointed sense of time. So you kind of have to pick up the pieces much like she's picking up the pieces. And so I love it when a book or a piece of writing really uses form to express the content. And so I would very much recommend this if you're interested at all in... Anything from gender, queer theory, uh, or just the idea of a really well-written book that really uh, uses writing in a unique and I think very fresh way. So that's Malarkey. Uh, it was recently learned. Yeah, and uh, the second book in that review was J.J. Lee. Now, J.J. Uh, Lee uh, is also... Um, been reviewed on the show before and then uh, but I, I wanted to stick with this tidy list so um, the malarkey now malarkey has actually been um, nominated or rather chosen for the next Vancouver is awesome book club book and um, you know as I mentioned I uh, reviewed it and I actually got a tweet from an herself and she uh, was very pleased with the review because it was a good review but she also mentioned that she enjoyed uh, some of the actual specifics so thank you very much for that tweet back she's excellent on social media you can follow her at, at vancouver lit if you'd like to interact with her about her book she's very active and one of the things i actually asked her about was um you know i thought i maybe play a little music it's fun to play music uh, i don't get to do it very often and uh you know, the next uh, Vancouver Book Club uh, chosen book author, she, that was, ah, where did I go with that? I'm not really sure. Anyway, Annika, she uh, she suggested that I visit largeheartedboy.com, which I hadn't heard of before, and they actually already set up a playlist. And uh, this Large Hearted Boy uh, is a music blog, and they talk about music, literature, and pop culture. So she said, head on over to there. Uh, she said that uh, the music, she has a peculiar relationship to music in here, and you can look at some of the songs she chose to represent her. So what we're going to do is we're going to listen to the show, the song that I chose uh, to go along with this, and it's called Ordinary Man. And one of the things that we haven't talked about in relationship to malarkey really is the Irishness of it. There really is uh, a distinct Irishness um, if you were reading it out loud there are certain points where you would have to have the accent for it to really have its depth so here we have ordinary man by uh christy moore and uh this is a song that she listens to again and again she says uh with no particular riveting explanation why but there's a period in irish social history that she finds christy documents interestingly and uh, this is ordinary man by christy moore Thank you. 
I'm an ordinary man, nothing special, nothing grand. I had to work for everything I own. I never asked for loss, I was happy with what I got. Enough to keep my family in my home. They said the times are hard, and they handed me my cards. They said there's not the work to go Tonight they're gonna shut this factory down Then they'll tear it down I never missed a day nor went on strike for better pay For twenty years I served the best I could With a handshake and a cheek Seems easy to forget Loyalty to the bad times and the good Says he's sad to see that things have got so bad But the captains of industry won't let him blue He still smokes a cigar He drives a brand new car Still he takes his family on a cruise He'll never lose So that uh, was the music-inspired uh, uh, choice by Malarkey. And uh, as I mentioned, you should pick the book up and at your local bookseller or library and then join the Vancouver Book Club on August 9th for a conversation with uh, Anna Kana. And, uh, you know, it's been named one of the season's best reads by the National Post. So that's going to be at the Prop House Cafe on August 9th at 7 to 8.30. And uh, I will uh, hopefully be there. And so I can give you the feedback uh, on the, uh, I guess that would be the next show after that would be the 17th. All right. So another uh, book that I uh, enjoyed from um, that very show. Well, you know what? Let me give you a hint. We'll play the musical choice first. Yeah, that's Girls' School. They're a British heavy metal band from the 1970s. And the book is Five Little Bitches by Teresa McWhorter. Five Little Bitches chronicles five little bitches as they go through life as a punk rock scene in an amazing time in Vancouver punk history. Um, It's never really mentioned, but it's a time that doesn't really exist anymore, according to Teresa. I actually interviewed her for Discorder. Uh, I believe that was for our... Um, wow, what issue was that? I don't even remember at this point. It was a while ago. Uh, June, I believe. And uh, so long ago. But uh, they don't do dishes is the main part. Uh, that's that's the lead singer, Maxine Micheline, who's fame-hungry, just this side of Haggard, and she's a swaggering front woman 
for all time. Uh, there's five characters altogether Maxine, Fanta, Squeaky, and Kitty. And then uh, there's also their uh, dead mother, who, you know, at first wants to go on tour with them, but is ejected from the group. And of course, I'm not going to ruin it for you. But the novel is a, a very entertaining look at how women get along. Uh, it's a fictional book, but Teresa has said that she's been on the road many times with the real Mackenzies, who are close friends. And all the tour dates in the novel are places she's been. The beautiful thing I found is that a punk rocker in Missouri is pretty much the same as a punk rock in Serbia or Saskatchewan. So the shows, the drugs, the booze, and the fun all seem authentic. Tim B., of host of We All Fall Down, uh, told me that he thinks that punk has many different sides. You know, he's more interested in the musical side of things, but there's a whole cultural aspect of punk that is full of sex, drugs, perplexity, and life on the streets. And this is book about that side of punk. This book is for the readers who are interested in people who live that punk rock life, their ups and downs, their highs and lows. And this book has some pretty exciting highs and some pretty scary lows. So you can read my whole review on Discorder.ca or you can just Google uh, Five Little Bitches Discorder. Uh, Teresa sent me uh, a few requests and uh, this this was her number one request um, for uh, Girl School. They are the longest running all-female rock band still active over after over 30 years. And if you are looking for something that uh, you want to read or give to your favorite budding revolutionary, uh, Something Fierce, Memoirs of a Revolutionary Daughter is also on the Taiyi list. And uh, I wanted to play for you the review, and, um, sorry, the interview that uh, Adam Yanush, uh, one of our... Uh, current contributors and the past arts director had with Carmen Aguirre. And this is actually about uh, Blue Box, which is a show that she was doing for the cult uh, connected to her um, revolutionary book. Um, and, you know, it opens with the author at age 11 being told at the airport that her mother that they're not going on holiday in Costa Rica. Instead, they're throwing themselves into the Chilean resistance movement and i'm just reading that off the taiyi.ca so this is adam yanush speaking uh with carmen aguer well prose is very different than playwriting mm. so um the actual writing is very very different even though some of the content uh from the book is the same as the mm. content in blue box the actual way i have written mm -hmm. those stories is completely different because one is for the stage and one is for a book, right? And yeah. And how do you do that? What kinds of things do you think about? Um, specifically, uh, let's take a theater. Um, how is it different than, than from writing? Well, in the theater, you're in the present tense. Mm -hmm. um, you have human beings right in front of you in the mm -hmm. moment. Um, so all the writing in the theater is in the present tense, whereas something fierce is all in the past tense. Okay. And I establish a relationship with the audience uh, right off the top because it is direct address. I am speaking directly mm -hmm. to the audience. They are another character, as it were, in the play. Okay. 
Is that really important to you, that connection with the audience? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's the most important thing. Yeah? Yeah. W- was it tricky to, with Blue Box to, um, I don't know, a certain, to keep, maintain a certain tone, like to, to keep it upbeat, or, or were you worried about getting too, too heavy or too political maybe? No, I mean, uh, I, I certainly like in, in, in when I go see a play or even when I read a book uh, mm-hmm. to have um, to not have it all be one note, okay. right? So it does go into a very dark place in Blue Box, mm-hmm. but it also goes into very light, very funny places. It's just a matter of finding the right rhythm mm-hmm. and knowing when to go where. And why, why do you want to do that? Why not just do something that's pretty heavy? <laughs> uh, because I think that you lose the audience. Okay. Yeah. And, and right, I, and again, it, yeah. it's, it's the importance of, of keeping the audience... Yeah there and and with you yeah huh yeah and you know is it's uh, it's interesting that you do um you know to be a playwright and and then a novelist and then i know you know an actor and what else do you do there's a lot more isn't there well i teach uh in the acting department at the at vancouver film school yeah and i direct for the theater what do, do you feel like that's all just storytelling and just different ways of storytelling um like why do you do so many different uh, media well i never set out to do that it's kind mm. of chosen me but yes i agree with you it's all different it's all different forms of telling a story but it all does mm. come down to storytelling hmm. yeah and do you think you'll do other kinds of things or well i'm supposed to kind of start adapting my book into a screenplay so i haven't written a screenplay before <laughs> so we'll see we'll see how that goes that's interesting yeah. and then you'll have film and yeah there as well yeah and that's another another shift have you have you thought about that the um you know the how you'll have to change it for uh for that medium yes i have i mean i've started thinking about it yeah, what, any, yeah. what are your thoughts on that uh, well, as you know, film is uh, about images. It's about putting together a series of images. Um, so just really starting to think about telling the story that I tell in something fierce mm-hmm. through that medium of images. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, now this is to, to branch out a little um, from the actual works, but in in the in the book, uh, there, there are some really quick and funny uh, references to, to Vancouver. Mm-hmm. and Vancouverites and how they compare to people in Latin America. And it's not always a, a entirely favorable comparison, you know, like references to how they're a little bit more reserved, mm-hmm. they're not as expressive with their faces and their hands and, yeah. and you know, and things like that. I just wonder, um, what do you think of Vancouver uh, today? Do you think it's any different than it was um, in those early days when you were growing up there as, as a kid? Sure. I mean, it's grown so much, yeah. right? And um, I do think it's different. I think it's. Um, I, I think it is. It is a bit more open, not not as reserved as it once was. And I also think that uh, it's become much more um, inaccessible. Inaccessible. Inaccessible in terms of um, class. Yeah. Right. I think in the seventies it was much more of a union town. Mm-hmm. It's a, it was a port city, mm-hmm. uh, much more um, middle class, maybe or working class. The working class. Working class, mm-hmm. and and people were much more politicized than they are now. Um, so uh, I, I feel like that's a loss, and I think that started to change uh, in the in the eighties after Expo eighty six. Okay. Yeah. So does that mean it's become a bit more? Uh, like not segregated, but um, sort of class divided. Yeah, and also more consumer oriented and more apathetic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And do you think that's that's unique to Vancouver, like compared to other uh, other cities, other places that maybe have maintained more of their roots? 
I don't know. Yeah. I mean, in terms of Canada, I've only ever lived in Vancouver, mm-hmm. so I can't, I can't say. How about, um, I don't know, do you, do you spend a lot of time um, in, in Latin America? Or? I go as much as I can, yeah. yeah. And um, do you f- still feel like you have a foot in each world, in, in the sort of Spanish Latin American world and, and the, the Canadian English speaking Vancouver world? Um, do you feel like that's 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 true for you that there's a sort of uh, globalizing effect where people do have have feet in in multiple places or or do you feel really like i'm just i'm very canadian i'm very mm-hmm. rooted here uh, yeah no i feel like i'm from the americas mm-hmm. so that that's that's how i feel i think it's impossible for somebody who was raised in exile to ever feel entirely from one place hmm. so you learn to accept that you are from many places interesting yeah and and it doesn't have to be that much of a struggle anymore Interesting. You can just accept that, in my case, I consider myself from the Americas. And that was Adam Yanush speaking to Carmen Aguirre. And she, uh, her book, Something Fierce, The Memoirs of a Revolutionary Daughter. Uh, the Thais said that's the ideal book for your favorite budding revolutionary. And uh, we have one more mention to mention. Uh, the best book to nurse your post-Pride hangover. Friend of the show, Daniel Zamparelli um, and Davy Street Translations. Um, and uh, he requested this song by Frank Ocean. Pink Matter. He said this represented the book Davy Street Translations. and the mangoes that you could sell for me What do you think my brain is made for Is it just a contempt And I'll read you the first poem from the first page called Vancouver Sunrise Sunrises over the city Take newspaper off its shelf Skim over gangbangers Skip to crossword puzzle And there is a four-letter word for precipitation. And that 
is a very, very sultry song for a very, very sultry book. Now, I want to wrap up our book's coverage, and we are going to do uh, a little bit of repeat from last night's The City, which I think is germane to all you arts heads out there. Let's do a quick recap of the uh, song, uh, sorry, the uh, the songs and books that we looked at today. Um, we had Malarkey by uh, Anakina uh, Schofield. Uh, that is Biblio Oasis. It will be the book club book for August 9th and you can check that out uh, and meet her at the Prop House Cafe. Uh, for that book, we played um, a song from Ordinary Man, Christy Moore. It's a live performance, and she re- said that that was one of the songs that she uh, thought represented her book. We also covered Five Little Bitches by Teresa McQuirter and Vil Press, and uh, that is doing very well. You... Uh, and I played Girl School, uh, which is a heavy metal band uh, from Britain. Right now we're playing uh, Frank Ocean, uh, Pink Matter, featuring Andre 3000. And, you know, that is connected up with Davy Street Translations by Daniel Zomparelli, uh, published by Talon Books. And then we also uh, mentioned Something Fierce, Memoirs of a Revolutionary Daughter uh, by Carmen, Carmen Aguirre. And we played her interview with Adam Yanush uh, about her play she did at the CBC Blue Box. And uh, just to wrap up our book's coverage before we go to break, uh, I'd just like to do a shout-out to Ariel Fournier, who I spoke to earlier today, and she had a suggestion that was on the Thai list, uh, the perfect book to read when you can't go on vacation but would like to pretend. And I think that's what we're doing here at The Arts Report, pretending to be on vacation, giving you some of the best of. Uh, And uh, 21 Journeys, edited by Jeff Ellis, Cloudscape Comic Society. And this is a summer read with pictures. It's an anthology by comic book artist featuring a series of stories loosely based around a travel theme. Some stories are closer to home, like the one about a boy whose life mirrors uh, that of a spawning seven. And if you ignore the darker elements like mental illness, fascism, and serial killers, it's pretty much a mini mind vacation. So thank you to Ariel Fournier for letting me use that review from the TIE. And she requested, uh, as a representation of her dreams of travel, her favorite traveling song, Big Star, the India song. And we're going to play that. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, you'll be listening to The City uh, with Andy Longhurst. Play a grand piano 
much do you know about bikes? Everything? Perfect. Nothing at all? Even better. At the UBC Bike Kitchen, you can use our space and tools to do your own bike maintenance, get one-on-one -on -one instruction on how to fix your bike yourself, or drop your bike off for us to repair. You can also buy a fully refurbished, guaranteed used bicycle, or a variety of new and used parts and accessories. The Bike Kitchen is UBC's non-profit, student-owned, full-service bike shop. We're located in the basement of the Student Union Building. Just look for the stairwell on the north side of the sub across from Gage Towers, or search for the UBC Bike Kitchen on Facebook. Stop by the Bike Kitchen, and then get riding. The question, what kind of cities do we want to live in? How do we want our cities to be? Cannot be divorced from the question of what kind of people we want to be. Join me, your host, Andrew Longhurst, every Tuesday at 5 p.m. for The City, an hour dedicated to critical discussions of urban issues. Live on CITR 101.9 FM and CITR.ca. For more info, visit thecityfm.org. And the city, that is what we were going to be listening to for the end of our hour today. Um, on Tuesday, Andy tackled artist boutiques and neighborhood change from the poor to the yuppie. What do aestheticized urban landscapes, uh, why do aestheticized urban landscapes attract higher income groups? What role do artists and boutiques play in neighborhood class transformation? So he talked with Vanessa Matthews about uh, art and gentrification. Uh, he talks with, uh, or he reads excerpts rather from Vanessa's Matthews articles. He talks to Dr. Uh, Sharon Zukin, professor of sociology at Berkman College, Tara Hugh, who we've talked to before on the show uh, from the GAM Gallery, Richard Neuwirth, uh, director of cultural services of City of Vancouver, Dr. Harvey Wolichuk, uh, professor of social and cultural analysis at NYU, and the downtown east side neighborhood activist Wendy Peterson from the Carnegie Community action project now looking at the time that we have uh, i think it would be really great uh to listen to wendy peterson from the carnegie uh, community action project talk about downtown east side and what art and action can do for them and that will take us out of the hour so thank you so much for listening to the arts report this week you're listening to citr 101.9 you can find us on Facebook, and thanks to uh, CITR Arts Report, and thanks to Andy, who you can listen to Tuesday nights or check out on thecity.org for lending me some content to fill out the rest of our hour. So um, I'm going to be playing uh, Wendy Peterson, uh, Carnegie Community Action Project, and you can check out the rest of the city uh, and this podcast, uh, thecityfm.org. And you can check us out on iTunes or on uh, the Arts Report on CITR.ca. And now we're going to go to um, uh, Wendy Peterson. 
and she is an organizer with the Carnegie Community Action Project, which is a project of the Carnegie Community Center Association, and they work primarily on uh, issues of housing, income, and land use in the downtown east side, um, and they're striving to keep uh, the downtown east side a low-income friendly neighborhood. And we're going to go to Wendy's perspective on issues of neighborhood change and the role of artists, art galleries, and boutiques in these larger processes. Um, I wanted to ask you um, on a somewhat of a separate topic, um, mm -hmm. doing some uh, interviews with um, folks that are doing, um, running art galleries and boutiques and um, cultural spaces in the downtown east side. Do you, what's the Carnegie's position on this? Because it's certainly, we're seeing, um, it's, not, it's not new, but we're certainly seeing um, an incursion of, of boutiques and art spaces and um, um, stores that are not necessarily accessible to the downtown east side um, low-income neighborhood. Yeah, we're definitely against all forms of gentrification, including retail, artists, and boutique spaces. Uh, because it create they create places where low income people can't aren't can't participate in the economy and also create um, places where people feel excluded and um, don't contribute benefit the low income community at all. So we're we're we but but we would. Um, we would be okay maybe with some, but not until after we secure the tenure and the assets of the low-income community. Otherwise, it just is unfair and disrespectful. Yeah. It's so a, there's no plan to preserve the housing here. Then we're welcoming new people into the community that is, you know, being demolished. Yeah. Well, what's your <laughs> what's your take? I I spoke with Ivan a while back, but what's your take on the way that um, uh, sequel one thirty eight and um, the language around um, artists and this is you know really essentially a divide and conquer strategy by um, the developer to use artists as um, to, to use their you know support for the project and and rally people around that. Well, I guess I I don't believe that he has support from the artist, the existing artist community in mm -hmm. the in the downtown east side, the low income artist community. Mm -hmm. He doesn't have support. He mm -hmm. doesn't have that support. And I think most of the art groups in the neighborhood have um, signed on against it. Yeah. And don't want to be used in that way. I think the main problem is until we get our housing, people are there's going to be a lot of bitterness and a lot of um, uh, pushback and a lot of fighting. Yeah. What are? And if, if miraculously, if the the city and the senior government could build five thousand units of social housing to replace our hotels. I think, uh, and if that was a for sure plan, and if they did other 
improvements to the neighborhood to make it safe for women and comfortable for Aboriginal people and or as or or um, safer for Aboriginal people and um, took took the low income community's needs seriously, then I don't think we would be in this battle. Mm-hmm. And maybe there would be some room for some higher end stuff, but not until we have our how do you yeah. just going back to all of the um, boutiques and art spaces that um, have popped up in recent years in the downtown east side mm-hmm. that are not um, a, many of them not political um, in a way that they are there to stand in solidarity um, and oppose gentrification like in the what? neighborhood sorry like which places? Oh, like they, we've had a number of boutique um, stores open on Columbia. Um, yeah. That stretch. I, I guess my question is, how? What's? What is the message to people, and how do we engage in a discussion mm-hmm. when, for them, it's a it's a unique opportunity, and it's sort of portrayed as an emerging neighborhood, um, mm-hmm. even though yeah. they may not realize that they're playing a part in a larger scheme or a larger process, which makes mm-hmm. the neighborhood more um, more aesthetically pleasing for higher income groups to want to move in there. How do, how do we, how do we talk about that? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> um, I guess, um, well, I guess people need to learn what gentrification is and they need to be in solidarity with low income people. And they have to talk about class. <laughs> yeah. It's not easy for everybody to do. And artists need to understand that they, although we appreciate, we know that low-income artists and low-income students and low-income workers need housing in this neighborhood too. It shouldn't be at the expense of other people. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, it shouldn't be at the expense of the community that lives here now. All right. Are- and that was Wendy Peterson, and she's an organizer with the Carnegie Community Action Project. And um, we're about at the end of the show, and uh, this has been a, uh, hopefully an interesting discussion looking at the role of artists, um, boutiques, um, uh, retail, art galleries, um, a lot of the things that we consider part of the creative economy or um, uh, the creative industries, and looking at how... Uh, these, these processes um, are implicated in larger changes, neighborhood change, social upgrading, um, gentrification, and the class transformation of certain neighborhoods. So um, we took a number of perspectives, and um, in case you missed any of um, the earlier discussions, um, we talked to a number of, heard from a number of urban scholars on these issues. We heard from an art gallery curator, and we heard from a senior city official, and uh and lastly, you heard from Wendy Peterson, um, an activist um, in the downtown east side. And uh, you can find the full podcast at thecityfm.org um, and content related to this, um, as well as um, past podcasts and um, archives um, of other shows, past shows. So again, um, that's the website, um, and you've been tuning in at CITR um, 101.9 FM or CITR.ca and also syndicated on CJSF 90.1 FM, cjsf.ca, 
And um, we're going to wrap up the show, but we're going to go out with the track um, from Talking Heads. And the track is called Artists Only. And um, if you want to find more on these issues, um, have some links off of the website, thecityfm.org. Um, and um, please join the discussion on Facebook, um, on Twitter. You can find the city at uh, with the handle the city underscore FM. Find the city on Facebook, uh, the city um, critical urban discussions, and also, of course, all of this um, linked off of um, thecityfm.org. So thanks for tuning in, and um, back next week for more critical urban discussions. And that was Andy Longhurst. Thank you so much for listening uh, to the Arts Report uh, another lazy, crazy, hazy arts report. We're going to have one more of these lazy arts reports next week. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about Shambhala. We're going to replay some old interviews around Shambhala and do a few more announcements, like the fact that uh, Sad Mag, which is a magazine I work with sometimes and do some work for sometimes, will be launching next week. But we can talk about that next week. Um, for now, I'll sign off. You've been listening to the Arts Report on CITR. 101.9 FM on CITR.ca. Like us on Facebook, CITR The Arts Report, or follow us on Twitter, CITR underscore Arts Report. Um, we are going to listen uh, to a little bit of fun music from uh, from CITR. You know, there's always a, a lot of really fun stuff that comes in every week. And uh, let's start off with a 